Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I'll be your host today. I appreciate you checking in. I will be by myself, but that's okay because there is so much to talk about. And I'm, one, excited that the NFL draft is over with because there was so much speculation going on that, like, my brain hurt and all this, all these moving parts, like, with trades and picks going every which way and players falling off the board and all this other stuff. So I'm going to get into that. I have a lot to talk about today, as I just mentioned. We have draft reaction to go through, especially in the first round, which I'm going to focus on first because, damn, a lot of stuff went down there. Also, I got I, I to gotta break down this Bears draft. And before I even get into that, <laughs> I'm pretty darn happy with everything that went down there. And then also, April's over, guys. The MLB season's a month in, and... I'm going to just talk about stuff that happened around the league and important things that I have to mention, like, oh, I don't know, the Chicago Cubs being the best team in baseball at this point, having the best record. So, yeah, I'm going to get into a lot of that in the MLB, NFL, mainly those two for today. Usually I have a little bit more to talk about, but there's so much, so much going on in both NFL and MLB that I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus this show on those two for today. All right, let's. Let's get into this draft stuff because, boy, a lot of unexpected occurrences went down. So first, let's let's break down the first few picks, right? So going in, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Jared Goff and Carson Wentz were going to go 1-2. And then it got interesting once it got to 3 in the Chargers because, one, Laramie Tunsil, who I will mention in a little bit, and I, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are familiar with what, with what went down with him, so... All right, Joey Bosa goes three to the Chargers. Now, Bosa was ranked as one of the most disruptive pass rushers in all of the draft. He may be even the most talented defensive player in the draft. That's that's debatable. But overall, it was kind of a wild card pick by the Chargers. I mean, a lot of people were projecting them to go in another direction. But Bosa goes three. And then the Cowboys have a chance to take the best player in this draft I would go out go as far as to say that Jalen Ramsey is the best player available in this or was and they decided to take Ezekiel Elliott running back Ohio State and Elliott first it's not very common for running backs to go in the first round even and this guy went four and now the now in the Cowboys situation without Tony Romo they weren't able to win pretty much anything and their defense really couldn't stop anything. Plenty of positions of need there on the defensive end, but they decided to go with the more sexy pick, right? In Ezekiel Elliott running back at Ohio State. Now, I'm okay with the pick. I think that was a interesting pick, but I have no problem with it. Maybe you Cowboys fans can can voice your opinions. But then the, the Jaguars. Now, the Jaguars in the first two rounds absolutely killed it. Now, we talk about the Jaguars. The Jaguars had a very impressive season last year on offense. Now, you saw Blake Bortles take advantage of his weapons and Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, and they just have weapons there. You know, the offense can carry them throughout the season, but their defense just 
couldn't stop anybody, right? So they go out, they get the best player available in Jalen Ramsey. Now, good for them, right? That was, oh, great pick by the Jaguars. They're, they were probably just jumping for joy to see that the Cowboys and Chargers passed on them. So and then you, you, you complement that with Miles Jack. Now, Miles Jack, his, he had an ACL injury, right? And it was, yeah, you want to you wanna be kind of cautious with players kind of with injuries like that. But Miles Jack is probably the second, behind Jalen Smith, the second best middle linebacker in this entire draft, despite his injury. Miles Jack is NFL ready, but his injury is going to take him a while to come back. Now the Jaguars just added two top playmakers on defense. Now Jack, like I said, is going to take a little bit to come on, but he will be able to play this year most likely. Now in Jalen Smith, Jalen Smith's time, is probably going to be a while. I mean, he had that nerve damage, but Miles Jack and Jalen Ramsey, the Jaguars hit a home run in their first two rounds of this draft. And overall, they had a pretty solid draft too. They focused a lot of their picks on the defensive side, so go Jaguars there. Now, the Ravens. Now, here's where it got kind of interesting because Laramie Tunsil, before, <laughs> 10 minutes before the draft, on his Twitter account, had a video of him, I guess it was two years prior, of him with a gas mask, bong, smoking some pot, and that went viral immediately. It got deleted quickly. But then that was just like, what the hell just happened there? You know, I guess he said that maybe his stepdad posted it for some reason. I don't know. But why would Laramie Tunsil post something like that? Obviously, what I'm saying is he didn't do it. So he must have been hacked in some sort of way. Somebody must have got onto his Twitter and posted that. And then also on Instagram, there were text messages saying that he was, you know, taking money from his Ole Miss coaches. So now he already had off-the-field issues with some domestic violence stuff, and he already had some character issues, you know, teams that were were concerned with to begin with. And now, 10 minutes before the draft, all of this goes down, and he goes, and this poor kid, you know, he Laramie Tunsil's going into this draft. It's supposed to be the biggest day of his life, you know, and then he's thrown into this mosh pit of just after he was drafted. He got taken 13th by the Dolphins. A lot of people were saying that he would go one overall to start this draft before the trade went down. And he was still a top five talent, probably the most talented offensive lineman in this draft. But obviously with the baggage, people were concerned. So he gets taken 13th. They send him to this press conference and it was like five minutes long. And pretty much the entire thing was about his one, the video. He's like, Oh, you know what, what, what went down with that? And then also about they were asking him about the money. With his coaches. Now, first he said, oh, no, you know, oh, no, I didn't do, you know, I didn't take any money. And then literally two minutes later, the guy was like, oh, so the text messages that you sent asking about the money, that wasn't you? And then Tunsil was like, yeah, well, yeah, I did take money. Yep, I did. So then he got rushed off the stage by their PR staff. And, you know, that just, just it's a knock to his uh, former college. And it's just poor kid. I felt bad for him. You know, he's he's never been in this situation before. This is supposed to be a happy time, but there that's a mess over there. Laramie Tunsil falls to thirteen. Um, you know, he's he I don't know. Dolphins gotta deal with that stuff. That was that was some pretty ugly PR happenings going on during the NFL draft, especially for Ole Miss, his alma mater. So that was that was crazy to begin with. And then you have the Bears trading up from eleven to nine. Hopping the Giants at 10. Now, a little bit into this pick, we did a show, me and Jake Randolich, who was an awesome guest, we talked about the draft, if you want to check that out. We talked about the possibility of DeForest Buckner falling to the Bears at 11. Now, 
I wanted the Bears so badly to get to Forrest Buckner, but it was it was almost impossible, really. I mean, not totally impossible, but it was a stretch because you had to get past the 49ers, and the 49ers obviously took Buckner, but man, if they decided to go a different route, I don't think the Titans would have picked... Well, then the Titans traded up to the Browns at 8. It, it, it was kind of muddy there because if Buckner fell, right, do the Browns trade their pick to the Titans? Maybe the Browns take Buckner there. But if the, if Buckner fell those two spots, the Bears jumped the Giants. Buckner's theirs, but, you know, eh, whatever. They, they instead jumped the Giants, who apparently really liked Leonard Floyd, our outside linebacker, and the Bears just snatched him under their noses. So now the Bears get this 6'6", 244-edge-rushing linebacker. And a lot of people are saying, well, I'm going to break that down as the show goes on. But there were the general consensus I saw when they took the pick. A lot of people were like, oh, well, I kind of wanted Vernon Hargraves, which I was a big fan of. Oh, I wanted Shaq Lawson, you know. But Leonard Floyd is a bear now. Now let's move on. I'm going to I'm gonna get into the, every single pick that the Bears went down. So I'm just bear with me. I'm just still going through this first round because so much stuff happened. It was just nuts. So the Browns finally get some help for their quarterback, whoever's going to be under center, and Corey Coleman, wide receiver. That's good for them. They took four. They took four wide receivers in this draft. So, hey, power to you, Browns. Uh, the Bucks, Yeah, the, the Buccaneers. They, they did something rather interesting, I guess. They traded in the second round. They traded up for a kicker. A kicker in the second round of the NFL draft. Ugh, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, who would I mean yeah this kicker's really good but is he no kicker's worth a second round pick are you serious that was that was weird but uh yeah so the, the Browns let's move on the Broncos the Broncos traded up to 26 with the Seahawks and decided to take Paxton Lynch now this was a quarterback that maybe the Browns were looking at at 8 before all this went down but that again is probably a stretch too because he's not NFL ready I mean he was a running back before he turned into a quarterback you know who knows with his skill set how long it's going to take him to develop. But as a Bronco in that system, Gary Kubiak and Elway, that's who you want, you know, running that, uh, turning that quarterback into somebody in that organization. So, power, that's a good pick, I think, by the Broncos, especially since, boy, who do they have a quarterback right now? Osweiler's gone. Is it Mark Sanchez? Good luck there. So, an interesting sort of turn of events here in the. First round of the NFL draft. Um, and I'm going to go to the second round here because the second round was also kind of interesting, especially with the Bears. Um, also, before I move on, the Vikings. Good pick by the Vikings. Lacan Treadwell. He's going to hurt in the NF- NFC North for a while. I, I have a bad feeling about that as a Bears fan. But And the Vikings took Mackenzie Alexander, his cornerback in the second round. Had first round grades to him. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be a part of their defensive scheme too. Maybe not an immediate NFL impact starter, but eventually he's gonna he's gonna grow into some kind of lockdown type defender. So, good job Vikings there. I'm kind of pissed about it because damn it, you know I want the Bears to just be the best team, but you know eh, it happens. So let's move on. Second round, Bears have a top ten pick, right? What do they do? They trade down. They trade the Bills and they go down. So I'm like, all right, well, they must like somebody that they think who is going to fall. Okay, so then they trade down it again. And why did they do that? 
the stupid Packers go up right in front of the Bears at 17. The Bears sat at 18 in the second round after they traded down, and the Bears took Jason, I'm sorry, the Packers took Jason Spriggs tackle out of Indiana. 6'6", 301 pounds. This guy is a beast. Lots of first-round grades for Spriggs, but the Packers just snatched Spriggs right out from underneath the Bears' noses, and that was an obvious pick for the Bears because they they were looking offensive tackle. Once Spriggs fell off the board, they were like, well, might as well lock, uh, you know, add some more picks. Now remember, in the first round to trade up to that nine spot with the Bucks, the Bears gave up a fourth-round pick that they... Uh, that they received earlier in whatever this process was. So they had two fourth-round picks. They traded one of them, right? Then in the second round, they traded down once. They got a fourth-round pick back. And then after Spriggs got taken, they traded down again. And they grabbed another fourth-round pick, plus a fourth-round pick in the future, so next year. So the Bears are loading up on picks. So who do they take in the second round? Cody Whitehair, offensive guard, Kansas State, 6'4", 301 pounds. Now, that was a very solid pick. Very, very good pick. Now I just now let's let's overall in the in the first two rounds of the draft it was pretty exciting. I think the winner definitely one winner was the Jaguars, Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. Those were fantastic picks. I think the Buccaneers did well too. Vernon Hargraves at eleven, but then uh, the kicker in the second round. What are you doing? That's weird. That's just not. I don't. If I ran an organization, I would never ever take a kicker that high ever. I mean, no. So other 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 teams of note, the Bills. I think the Bills did well. Shaq Lawson, right? Shaq Lawson in the first round, defense Ven, impact rusher, probably going to start right away, especially in that uh, crazy defense over there with with the two uh, Ryan brothers running the show there. And then they took Reggie Ragland, linebacker out of Alabama. He was and you know the forty first pick in the second round. That was from the Bears. So good for the that's a that's solid. I think the Bills are going to be tough there in the AFC. So, you know, let's just let's just leave them over there. You know, you don't have to play the Bears in the NFC here. But as I transition into the Bears draft, which which I think which I think is really good. This was a very solid draft for the Chicago Bears and I am really excited about the direction that they're going. So, let's talk about this Bears draft and who did they pick? Who, who did we get and what do we have to look forward to as the 2016 season proceeds? Because this offseason, they made it a, a, a obvious issue to address the linebacker position. Their front seven needed work. They addressed it. They also added depth in the offensive line, right? And uh, so I was interested to see where they went with the draft and Many times before, I said, if they can hit on draft picks this year, they'll be right in the mix of a playoff run. Absolutely, 100%. And I, as I look at this draft, I think they did enough. I think I think they just I think they nailed it, really, and their strategy. And you guys, guys got to remember. Now, I know trading up to nine for Leonard Floyd, a lot of people were maybe turned off on this because it was a risk. It is. Because he's kind of, he's undersized. But remember, Ryan Pace... His specialty is scouting. He worked with the Saints from 2002 to 2014 as a main scouting director. He was a director of player personnel at the end of his career there, and then he was pretty much in charge of scouting throughout the the 12 years he spent with the Saints. So this guy knows what he's doing. And if we remember in the past, 
the draft has always killed the Bears. And the main reason why the Bears haven't been competitive is because they sucked at drafting players. None, A lot of their picks fizzle out or don't make an immediate impact or don't make an impact at all on their roster. So now that's changed. Last year, we've seen five of seven of his picks last year. They were uh, impact players, right? So now you have a flush of, n- of picks, nine total, adding Kevin White. So that's two first-round picks. That's 10, 10 impact young players coming in to this team next year. Now, are they all going to to immediately make a difference? No, obviously not. But, oh man, as I look at this draft, I'm very, very excited to what they can do, especially with Vic Fangio and John Fox, who are defensive specialists, especially Fangio. Fangio knows what he's doing, and we saw last year with the talent that they had or the lack thereof, that they were able to compete even against the better teams in the league. They beat the Packers in Lambeau, guys. You know, and I give a lot of credit to Vic Fangio and that that scheme that he uh, was able to put together against Aaron Rodgers on that Thanksgiving night, which was awesome. But all right, let's get into this. Let's get into this draft. So the Bears, who did they take? I mentioned Leonard Floyd and Cody Whitehair. First round pick Leonard Floyd. Now let's talk about Floyd a little bit. He's undersized, six six, two forty four. Now a main reason they took this player was because they needed edge rushers, right? They needed a guy to rush the quarterback, and also they needed. Capable linebackers who are able to, one, know where they're supposed to be on the field, and two, stop the run, right? So Leonard Floyd, he can do that. He can also, I mean, his specialty is rushing the passer, but he can also drop back into coverage. I was reading a scouting report saying Floyd impressed a lot of people with his feet as he was able to match up against wide receivers down the field during the combine and other uh, instances as he played in Georgia. That's that's something to be excited about. Leonard Floyd absolutely will come on first week of the season, be on the field. Now, is he going to be a three-down linebacker? Probably not. Almost, I would say absolutely, almost assuredly that he will not be a three-down linebacker to start. But a lot of the things that we have to worry about is the, the Chicago Bears nutrition team. Are they going to get him into the appropriate shape for him to be this player that Vic Fangio Wants him to be now a player that's an off an easy comp is Alden Smith of the 49ers. He was one of those pass rushers who came off the edge and had some size to him, disrupt the quarterback often. But I'm really excited about Leonard Floyd, guys. Like at first, I was kind of like, uh, I kind of because I was big on uh, Hargraves, I like cornerback uh, Vernon Hargraves, especially considering the need that the Bears have there. But Leonard Floyd, you have. Floyd, Trevathan, Freeman, and McPhee on top of Willie Young and Lamar Houston and even Sam Acho. That's a solid depth of linebackers right there. Such an improvement over last season. So with the Leonard Floyd pick, nothing to complain about. I trust Ryan Pace and I trust Vic Fangio. And this is obviously a defensive draft. They took six defensive players and three offensive, so... The main focus there was to build your defense in the draft. And I think they did a very, very good job of doing this. Now let's move on to their second round pick, Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair is... Now, also I want to mention that it was there was an obvious pattern in all of these picks that they were high character players. Now these guys, that was obviously something that Ryan Pace was looking for. See the pattern that they're all well kept? 
And that's important. You, you know, you have to have the right mindset in the NFL to get better, to be coachable, to be able to buy into the system of what they want to do with it. Because, you know, guys, guys play in college. They have different schemes. They listen to different guys. But, they you know, some, some talented players want to do what they're comfortable with. They've seen success in the college level because they do what they feel is their best skill set. But then you get into the NFL, it's a different ball game. You got to adjust. You got to be able to stay on pace with the speed of the game because it's, it's so much faster. And that talent's going to be there. There's going to be ten everywhere. Just got to be able to do it. Now, Cody Whitehair, this offensive tackle, I really like the pick. Now, at first, it wasn't very sexy, right? Uh, Von Bell was still there, safety from Ohio State, ranked very high on many people's boards. Impact right away player who could step in. And there were, yeah, there's some question marks there, but they, they decided to wait on the safety and they picked Cody Whitehair. And this leaves the question now as what are they going to do with Matt's loss? Now, I personally, okay, think Whitehair would be slotted into the left guard position. He's best at guard. He could also play tackle for you, but I want to see him at guard. So it's Leno, Whitehair, blank, right? Grisou, maybe. Then it's Kyle Long at right guard and Bobby Massey at right tackle. So that's a pretty solid offensive line. Do they want to go Grisou year two at center? Maybe. That'll be that'll be interesting to watch for. But the Bears definitely bolstered their offensive line depth. Like, oh, it's so much more. You just feel so much better about it. Because guys can step in right away, especially with their offseason. Manny Ramirez is, uh, is an example of a guy that they brought in. So... Great pick, not super exciting to see an offensive tackle go in the first, uh, second round, I'm sorry, in the second round, so, you know, take it as you will, but this was a good pick. He had first round grades all over the board, and he dropped to the second round all the way to 56, so good for the Bears, nice job, Brian Pace, to solidify a position there on the offensive line. Now, the third round pick, now this, this guy is a difference maker, absolutely difference maker, now, he also had first round grades, but he fell to the third round. A lot now I'm talking about Jonathan Bullard, defensive tackle of Florida. This guy, first of all, has a motor. He doesn't stop. He'll give you everything that you want every single play. Now is he gonna be a three down three down lineman? Doubt it. But that's okay because they have depth in their front seven. They're able to mix and match and, and do some things with different players now that they weren't able to do last year, especially since the lack of talent. Now they have talent, and this is what's exciting about it. Jonathan Bullard, 6'3", 285, a little bit undersized as a defensive tackle, you know, a little bit. Uh, if he can, you know, he's, he's a beast, though. He is an absolute beast. He can stop the run, and he will rush the passer. He can be defensive end, but I think his strong suit will be defensive tackle, and I think he'll flourish in the 3-4 scheme. And, yes, he will be a starter. He will be an immediate starter with the Bears entering 2016, Awesome pick. Awesome pick, Jonathan Bullard by Ryan Pace there. Moving on, inside linebacker in the fourth round. Now, they had three fourth-round picks in this draft, which now <laughs> you got to be able to hit on these guys, especially moving down, you know, valuing those picks as Ryan Pace did, moving down twice in the second round to, gra- to add two fourth-round picks. Now, they had three, and their first came with West Virginia inside linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski. Now this guy, too, is somebody to be excited about. Now, he adds to the depth. Is he going to be an immediate starter? No. Maybe he'll he'll be definitely on the field. Uh, you'll see him on the field this year, maybe in sub-packages. 
but you will also see him definitely in special teams. He's athletic. He's fast. He can cover, especially in his own scheme. He he, he knows where he where he has to be. He I th- I'm, I saw some film on him. He's rarely out of position, and it's something. He's a smart football player, and that's what you need, right? And especially in this three four system, you need depth at the linebacker position. So Kwiatkowski will be a part of this defense. He's athletic. He's very he's fast. He's fast. I was surprised, and he he can stop the run as well. Cover now is he the most athletic guy on the field? No, but overall in the fourth round, this was a fantastic pick by Ryan Pace. Another one, another great pick. Like so far, so good. And now you move on. This is a guy that I'm very excited about. Dion Bush, safety from Miami. Now, if you watch some of his tapes. He's one of the biggest players on the field. It's six foot, almost 200 pounds. Yeah, as a safety, he, he, he's there. He'll make, your present, he'll make his presence known. You got to know where Deion Bush is a lot of the time because he will come up and pop you. This guy can hit. He's physical. He knows where he, he has to be on the run. Some negative aspects on him. He kind of quits on plays sometimes. But, you know, his effort level maybe kind of diminishes if the play's on the other side of the field. Kind of see him, you know, lackluster. on the, But Deion Bush, a very, very impressive safety. He will make an immediate impact on special teams, and that's another point that Pace and Fox wanted to address in this draft was special teams because, boy, their special teams unit last year was embarrassingly bad, right? So you already have Kwiatkowski and Deion Bush in the special teams unit. Maybe, you know, oh, that's 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 good stuff. They haven't even gone through a professional workout yet, but I'm really excited about Deion Bush. I think he could make an immediate impact on this defense, especially on special teams. He'll be there. Who else is going to be on special teams, you ask? Another fourth-round pick that they made, cornerback DeAndre Hall out of Northern Iowa. Now, he's a small school kind of guy, but he was FCS Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, 6'2", 200 pounds, cornerback, very high character guy, smart, athletic, he's fast. You will see, I don't think he can, you know, he might be used in the nickel. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was incorporated there. But I think it's unrealistic to think that he'll make, a, he'll just step in as a starter in the quarterback position right away. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But this is some guy to keep an eye on because he's smart. He's always getting better. He's willing to listen to his coaches He's willing to work on his game, and it, it, that's an important aspect too. His character's high, and he's w- willing to listen to his coaches, and he's willing to get better at his game. And that's what I, that's what I'm very happy about when looking into DeAndre Hall, this fourth round pick made by the Bears. It's hard not to get excited about like this because you need depth in everywhere, obviously, but you need it in the in the secondary as well. The Bears struggled. Pretty much, they had Sherrick McManus playing in the secondary for a time. Like, you can't have that happen anymore. So, it's good. You know, that's good that they're spending picks, a lot of their picks on defense, and especially in the secondary. They they shored up the offensive line in the offseason, plus with the, uh, with the Cody Whitehair pick. And on the defensive side, even without the last three picks that they made, four picks that they made, Kwiatkowski, Jonathan Bullard, DeAndre Hall and Deion Bush. Those are those are guys and names to remember because they will be on the field. And who else is going to be on the field, you ask? 
Oh, that's right. Their fifth-round pick, Jordan Howard, running back out of Indiana. Wow. What a fantastic freaking value that they got for this guy in the fifth round. Now, I'm telling you because he's a physical runner, hits the hole hard, recognizes blocking schemes, and can provide value on short yardage situations. Now, the Bears relied on Kadeem Carey a little bit late in the season on short yard situations, and he's definitely going to be among the running backs used because, one, you don't have a three-down running back anymore with Matt Forte. He's gone. So you're left with this kind of platoon-type thing with Langford and Carey. Now, you add Jordan Howard to this list, and I'm telling you right now that Jordan Howard will be most likely the second running back on the depth chart. It'll be Langford, Howard, Carey, and then if they decide to keep Jaquez Rogers, he'll likely be a special teams guy only. I mean, he'll, he might, you need depth in the running back position because they get their ass kicked a lot, right? But I mean, I don't know how much of an influence Jaquez Rogers will be, but having depth is great. But Jordan Howard, what a valuable pick in the fifth round. Like, wow, this was, this was so good because he can step in right away, have an immediate impact, knows how to run the ball. That's exactly what the Bears need. Just guys to compliment Carey and Langford. So awesome stuff there in the fifth round with Jordan Howard. I'm very excited about that pick because we're going to see him on the field. Absolutely going to see him on the field. He's going to have a lot to do with uh, the success of the Bears offense. So hell yes. Then you finish off the draft with DeAndre Houston Carson. Free safety from William & Mary. Small school. He's physical. Former quarterback. And he can play safety. He's going to contribute on special teams right away. He takes a lot of pride in playing in special teams, and that's what the Bears need, obviously. So special teams depth, free safety depth, awesome. You're going to see Houston Carson on the field. And then, you know, hyphen names, you know, Harold Harold Jones-Corte. That's going to be fun. <laughs> a couple of guys with hyphenated name, last names. That'll be, I guess it's a Bears specialty. I think they have a thing for hyphenated last names. But So the Bears, on top of the Houston Carson pick at free safety in the sixth round, they took a wide receiver in the seventh. 230, their last pick of the draft, Daniel Braverman from Western Michigan. He's kind of 5'10", 177, undersized, but this guy's fast, very fast. And he's got good hands. So this guy, one, he's going to be on special teams, absolutely. Maybe he turns into the punt returner, you know, kind of like a Wes Welker type deal, doubt it. He kind of reminds me of Dane Sonsenbacher. But he's fast, very fast. He can work in the slot for you. He might even be a part of this Bears team uh, <laughs> this year. Who knows? But with the wide receiver position, the Bears have quality now. Surprising, surprising to say, I fully one believe that Kevin White will be worth the wait. I think Kevin White is going to have an immediate impact with the Bears as soon as he steps on the field. I think he's going to be a reliable Possession receiver, he can also stretch the field. He's got size, he can go up and get the pass. But obviously, too, they're going to rely on Alshon Jeffrey. So you combine Jeffrey and White, it's going to be solid. Eddie Royal, if he's healthy, if he stays on the damn field, because last year he really didn't do anything for him, but he, he, you know, proven veteran, very kind of acts as a safety cushion there in the slot. And then you add Mark Mariana as well and Marquise Wilson. Wilson's got to stay healthy, so... There's wide receiver depth everywhere, and then you add Daniel Braverman. Now, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm pretty sure all of the draft picks, all nine, are going to make the 53-man roster when it's all said and done. So there are going to be some guys on the hook. I don't think Christian Jones is going to be back. Maybe Sam Acho. I don't know. I think they like Acho. We'll see. All of these guys as well 
have spent a lot of time in college. There's a lot of pe- a lot of these guys have spent three or four years playing at the college level, so they're experienced. They're ready to go, and I, I'm so happy with this draft. I think Ryan Pace absolutely nailed it with all of their picks. And maybe there were a couple, yeah, in the second round, they maybe missed a guy like Jason Spriggs, but that's all right. You know, stuff happens, but the stupid-ass Packers, you know, what the hell is your problem? You know, trading in front of us, how dare you? In our own hometown? Well, whatever, I'm over it. Cody Whitehair in the second round is a great pick. But yeah, awesome job, Ryan Pace. That's kind of my thoughts on this Bears draft. A lot of people were kind of upset about the Leonard Floyd pick at one. Good with it. I think it fits exactly what the Bears want to do, and I think he's going to have an immediate impact. Great edge rusher. He's going to turn in. He's, his ceiling's very high. And I think working with the right set of coaches who the Bears have, Vic Fangio and his staff, I think this is going to be a very pleasant surprise to many that Leonard Floyd is going to turn into a dominant type of player. I'm happy with it, happy with the draft, and very excited for Bears football, but it's, it's not for a while. And until then, now that the Blackhawks and the Bulls, well, the Bulls are done for a while, but the Blackhawks lost. Unfortunately, so now in Chicago sports, it's all about baseball, baby. And this isn't the worst thing ever because, one, the Chicago Cubs are the number one team in baseball right now, record-wise, as they finished April. So we enter May with both Chicago baseball teams in first place in their respective divisions. That's something to be excited about. Now, before I get into each, the White Sox and the Cubs, because I have to, it's a local, local thing, you know, but I just want to go around the MLB a little bit. Because some interesting, some interesting uh, happenings going on, I guess. Some some surprises. The Phillies are fourteen and ten at the end of April. Who who would have thought that? And the Astros are seven and seventeen at the bottom of the uh, AL West. So what's going on over there? But I think they'll be fine. Whatever. But there's a lot of storylines going around in the MLB. One Trevor Story has ten homers as a rookie for the Rockies. And what about the damn Rockies? Those guys are pesky. They score a lot of runs, but their pitching staff is so terrible that they have a negative run differential. They, they're they among the top uh, in baseball in runs scored, but they're also among the top in runs allowed. So that pitching staff needs work in Colorado, but man, I love their offense. Their offense is fun. Their infield, left to right, that's some good stuff over there. Elsewhere, the Mets. The Mets are doing very well. They're they're fifteen and eight, a game behind the Washington Nationals, who are also very good this season. So that's going to be an exciting race to watch throughout. I mean, the Mets. Yeah, they're good. They're really good. Their pitching staff is solid, more than solid. They have arguably the best pitcher in baseball right now, Noah Syndergaard. Their lineup's picking up the slack, too. They're scoring enough runs. Cespedes has been good so far, so, I mean, can't complain if you're a Mets fan. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely be right in the mix of everything come the end of the season, but just some just some interesting, you know, things to keep an eye on. I mean, the Giants, ugh, no team in the NL West right now are above 500. Which at, at the end of April, that's kind of crazy to say, but Giants are in first. That's going to be a competitive division throughout the season. The Giants, Dodgers, and the Diamondbacks are going to be definitely duking it out there throughout. I'm not really taking the Rockies seriously. Can't do it, especially with that staff. There's just no way. So the MLB season's off to a nice start. I'm really enjoying it far, and especially in Chicago, because the Cubs and the White Sox are in first place. And the White Sox especially are surprising some people. And I'm really, uh, I'm really into the White Sox right now, I'm going to be honest, because one, their pitching staff is solid. 
very, very solid besides John Dinks. Now, we could talk about Dinks a little bit because what the hell are you going to do with this guy? Are you, you can't keep throwing him out there every fifth day and then he just gives up ducks all over the place. Like, he, he's, he can't pitch. He's, he's not good anymore. So, I mean, what the hell are they going to do with him? They can't, they can't send... They, okay, it's going to be hard for them to trade him, obviously, because he's making 13 mil. And you're not going to really move... I mean, you can move him to the bullpen, but then you need a guy to fill a spot. Miguel Gonzalez, possibly. Carson Fulmer, possibly. But Carson Fulmer needs time to develop. I don't think... If it, if it is a possibility for him to contribute to this team, it might be in the bullpen first, and then they ease him into the rotation. But is it early to have Carson Fulmer as your starter? Eh, maybe. But if they're in the midst of a playoff race and you believe this kid can do it, especially in June or July, hell yeah, call his ass up, get Danks out of there, move him to the bullpen or something, and and put a quality starter in there because this guy can't do anything anymore. I, I'm it's 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 frustrating. I'm not even a White Sox fan. It's frustrating to watch him pitch because you know, like they go into the games like, damn it, we got to score at least six runs, and that's probably not even going to be enough. So yeah, Danks sucks, but everybody else is doing really well. Carlos Rodon. Very, very pleasant surprise. I mean, a lot of people were expecting him to do well, but still, he was inconsistent for parts of 2015. You know, he had that one bad start in 2016, but other than that, he's been very, very solid. Chris Sale's Chris Sale. He's changing his way of going about attacking hitters. He's not, well, because he'll go from 91 with his fastball, all of a sudden he'll ramp it up to 97. And that's that's an approach where he wants to limit his pitch count and save his arm. He wants to put the ball in play more. He wants the ball in play more because he relies on his defense now. He has a, a pretty decent set of defenders behind him, and that's something that the White Sox haven't had in a long time, especially since Chris Sale's been there. They were at the bottom of the league last year for sure in almost every fielding metric stat. So they, they and it was obvious to the naked eye that you could see that this defense didn't know what the hell they were doing. But overall, you know what you were going to get from Sale going into the season. This guy is a top five pitcher in all of baseball, probably going to win the Cy Young in the AL. Good for them with Sale and Rodon. And then you have Quintana, Mr. Reliable, out there. And they're actually scoring runs for this guy. So those are three pitchers that if you go into a series that you have, you have a chance to sweep straight up. And you feel like you can win two out of three with those guys at the very least, you're going to go into the game thinking that you have, you're going to win because this pitching staff is going to have your back. And on top of that, Matt Latos. I know Matt Latos struggled in his last start. What was it? Last couple days ago, whatever. This is May 1st as I record this podcast. So overall, Matt Latos has been a very, very pleasant surprise for the White Sox. At $3 million, that's a value and a half for the production he's bringing to this team. But then you have Dinks. So bad. Bad, bad, bad. But they're gonna they're gonna figure it out. They're gonna it's gonna be soon. I have a feeling that they're gonna just they gotta do something. Cause if the White Sox are serious about this run that they're on, eighteen and eight, that's that's some good stuff, guys. Like you need to get Danks out of there soon. Now he's not the problem. He's not the reason why the White Sox wouldn't make the playoffs. But still, you need a capable everyday every fifth starter. It's just gotta have that. And Danks is not it. Other stuff I'm excited about with this White Sox team, Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton is arguably the best right fielder in baseball. And that's crazy to say because he was so inconsistent in center last year, but it seems like he's really taking to right field. One, he's got that strong arm. And two, he's reading the ball off the bat so much better. You can see it. He's able, he's, he's just, it's, it's such a relief to see a guy who you know can play the outfield. He has great range, a great arm, good instincts, 
but he just couldn't put it together in center. But then all of a sudden in right, he's just killing it. So that's that's exciting, and he's also hitting. He's also doing his job at the stick. Now, he's not trying to do too much like last year, and that goes for almost everyone on this team. They struggled very, very mightily in April and last season, and that also had to do with a reason why they sucked. I mean, right away, they lost. They got swept by the Royals, and you're like, oh, boy, it's going to be a long year. And Adam Eaton even said that. They, he said that the locker room was affected by the sweep of the Royals to start the season. But this year, it's a different story. New leaders in the clubhouse, Jimmy Rollins, Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier hitting 220 to end April. Slow start, but he's providing the power, and he's great at third, making almost every play. Avi, ugh, what are you going to do with Avi? Do the White Sox make a move for a right fielder at the deadline? Because, ooh, you're going to need a you're going to need another bat for Avi because he still kind of looks lost out there. The guy, ugh, he has such a different sound when the ball comes off the bat, but he's still swinging at balls in the dirt. He's still taking rough approaches at the plate, and that that affects his playing time. Just he's not because he's not able to drive in runs with runners in scoring position. Got to be better. But overall, you can definitely put your chips in this basket for the White Sox to make a run in the playoffs. They absolutely have what it takes. And then let me say, say let me say this: you look at the Kansas City Royals, AL uh, champions and the World Series champions, last two years. This team got to the World Series, yes, on timely hitting and not striking out a lot. Obviously, their offense had a lot to do with their success, but that bullpen, especially the back end, they were shut down. No team could score off of the the 7th, 8th, and ninth guys out of Kansas City. Now, we look at the White Sox, and what do they have? A 7th, 8th, and ninth reliever, lockdown relievers. Matt Albers was one of the most underrated signings that the White Sox made all season. He is absolutely dominating out of the pen. He had, I don't know how many innings, it was like 30 innings in a row where he didn't let, let up a run. He's like a cat, baby. Like a cat. Matt Albers, killing it. And he's somebody that you can rely on in the eighth inning, even in the seventh. Now, Nate Jones as well, getting healthy. Boy, what a boost he brings out of the pen. 98, consistent. Nate Jones is a very reliable piece in the back end. So you setting up the ninth for Robertson with a lead. You can win one more ball games with Albers and Jones coming in. I say Zach Duke is having a solid season thus far. I mean, he's still struggling with command, but he he's not the worst option out of the pen for a, a lefty lefty specialist. I mean, he I mean, if I looked at his splits, I think he's even well, he's okay against righties too. So that's another solid option. You have Zach Duke. And I'm not going to mention Putnam and Petrichka because now with them, it's good for them that they have Albers and Jones and Duke and Robertson at the back end because now that takes pressure away from Petrichka and Putnam so they can pitch in less stressful innings, less stressful situations. So overall, I am buying into this White Sox team. I know it's it's only April, but Absolutely. Now over on the uh, north side of town, I'm going to wrap this podcast up with some Cubs talk because I've kept you here long enough and I appreciate you listening. The Cubs right now are the best team in baseball. Technically and in reality. I mean, honestly, they, they are filled with depth, right? And a lot of the things that have carried them throughout the season 
that I'm impressed with is the way their lineup attacks opposing pitchers. Now, it's methodical. This is something of Theo Epstein's mantra that he wanted to instill in their offense going back to when he started. Because you remember, the last, what, three or four years, the Cubs offense have always been at the bottom of the league in walks. They are always on the bottom of the league in pitches per plate appearance, and that changed drastically last year, and now this year it's even better, especially with guys like Hayward and Zobris added to the mix, and you see it. Anthony Rizzo is arguably the best first baseman in the National League, him and Goldschmidt. Those two guys are just phenomenal. Probably Goldschmidt ahead of him, but you can make an argument for Rizzo too. But Rizzo's plate discipline, his ability to drive in runs, this guy absolutely the power bat in the Cubs lineup consistently can drive in the run from third, second. I feel like every single time a runner's in scoring position, when he's up to bat, he makes either a productive out or he drives a run in. It's just never in between. This guy is always consistent, and he is the face of the Cubs for good reason, because he's always coming through. They dealt with some injuries so far, and it sucks, especially the loss of Kyle Schwarber. That's tough. But yeah, I've said it enough that their depth is good. But then they lost Miguel Montero to some back problems. And Miguel Montero is a very, very important piece to this roster. One, because he knows the pitching staff well. Behind the plate, he calls great games, good defensively. And he could bring it with the stick, too. And I think that's in, that's important to mention because he has good relationships with pitchers, especially Arietta and Lackey and Hendricks and Hamill. And Hamill, by the way, has the best ERA in baseball, .75, which is kind of funny to say. But that's April for you. That's baseball stats in April. But all right, let me just throw in some some stuff that I'm very excited about with the Cubs, especially since they're with the 17-5 and record, best overall record in baseball at the end of April. I think it is the best start in April since the 60s or 1908. I got to look that up again. I apologize. But it has been very, very good. So the Cubs entered... May with a plus 79 run differential, which is number one in baseball. That means they're giving up 79 less runs than they scored. (laughs) That offense is solid. That offense is killing it. They make, well, yeah, it has to do with their schedule too. They play bad teams like the Reds. They play the Brewers, the Braves. But they also went up against the, the Cardinals. They won two out of three in St. Louis, which is awesome. And they play the Diamondbacks. That's a contending team, a lot of people believe. So it's not like they're playing all bad teams. But yeah, what what's impressing me with the Cubs is, one, they're winning, and two, they're taking care of the teams that they need to take care of in the early part of this season. 17-5, guys. 17-5. and five. One of the best starts the Cubs have ever had in franchise history. Their pitching staff is ranked second in all of baseball in ERA, first in batting average against, and first in whip. Now, that also has to do with Jake Arrieta being absolutely dominant. But Jason Hamill, as he always does, but he kind of fizzles out as the year continues. But Jason Hamill's been great. Kyle Hendricks has been good. John Lackey got lit up a couple times, but he's just coming off one of his best starts. And John Lester, too. John Lester looks like a different pitcher. Last year, we saw inconsistencies in April and in June, also in August. So, good stuff all across the board. Their bullpen has been consistent. And their lineup is second in MLB in runs scored and fifth in OPS. So they're they're getting it done in the power category and they're getting on base. Their pitches per plate appearance, my gosh. If you watch a Cubs game, you'll probably be there for four and a half hours because they make that pitcher work. And that's something 
as I said, Theo Epstein wanted to make a point and just absolutely doing it. And that's a recipe for success. So that was just a little quick Cubs talk. I know I spent a lot of time on the draft. I wanted to talk about the draft because it's finally over. Finally, I don't have to focus on it anymore. I could just wait until training camp and see other... Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, the Bears signed Brian Hoyer. Whatever. You know, Brian Hoyer, one-year deal. Back up. Back up. Back up. That's all he is. He's a backup, okay? Jay Cutler will be the Bears starter absolutely 100% unless he's injured, okay? So don't even start with me with that. Yeah, Brian Hoyer led him to the, the Texans to the playoffs, but I don't, I don't want to hear it. Cutler's their guy. But okay, thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate it. We talked Bears, Draft, Cubs, White Sox, MLB today. Fun-filled show. I hope you enjoyed it. You should follow us on Twitter and Snapchat at Most Valuable Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Most Valuable Podcast. Like behind the pen if you would. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys following me and listening to my sports takes. Thanks a lot for joining in, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.